Well, as uh, it is, Chad said, I'm back, and it is so good to be back. This is the longest I've ever been gone from Summit since we've started here. Four weeks in a row is a long time to be gone, and there's parts of it uh, when we're gone that that's, we really miss. Like, Rachel and I got to go to um, Africa for two and a half weeks together, and we miss the kids. And that's a big part of it, but it's helpful to be together, but the part we miss so much, too, is our family here at church, because when we're gone, um, it's really fun to go to other churches, but I like to go to this church, because church is not just an hour on Sunday. Church is what we do together. It's what God is doing in the midst of our community, and we miss you guys. So to be back is awesome, but it was also so great knowing that you were praying for us, that you were alongside of it, the text we'd get and the messages were just so encouraging to know that you were keeping our team and your prayers in mind was so great. So thank you for those of you who are doing that, and if you didn't, shame on you. Um, no, just kidding. We don't do that here. Um, but I'm also just really humbled and honored to come back to, uh, to this ordination. Uh, one of the things we were talking before we left, and, and as John and the team had approached us about that, and gave Rachel and I some time to pray about it. It was really humbling and honoring that they recognized that. But part of the question was, uh, as, as part of the ordination is, is it your kind of intention to be around Summit for as long as God will have you? For, you know, as long as um, you are willing to be here, that we would like to have you here. So it's such an incredible, like, um, trust with one another. But one of the downsides that John probably didn't think about is now I can say whatever I want when I'm up here. It's like the wheels have gone off the train. So now when I'm here, it's just like sort of free for all. So today what you're gonna get is basically the, like when your parents go on vacation and they invite you over for a slideshow for a few minutes, you're welcome. So I'm gonna catch you up on life in Malawi today. So here we go. Um, so four weeks ago, Rachel and I, we took our first week, we took a little family vacation. Uh, Rachel's family, um, for the last 40 some odd years, we've been going to the beach and it's such a fun time. We get to gather together with some friends that are here today and a bunch of families and we go over. So it's so great to have some time with our kids before we left them for two and a half weeks with their grandparents who were so thankful to have three kids for two and a half weeks. Thank you, two of them are here. Um, they're still alive by, just by a slim margin. Um, so we left that night basically and went to Malawi and we had an incredible team. We had eight of us that went over to village with Children of the Nations. And I wanna tell you a little bit about what's going on there because by proxy of you being part of this church, you care deeply for children that are in Malawi. Um, children of the Nations is an incredible organization. And, and, and several years ago, as the church was forming, we knew a few things. One, we knew that we wanted to be a community that worshiped really well together and that sought God out on a regular basis. We also knew that God cared more than just what was happening within the walls of, of uh, each week, that we were supposed to be part of the local community, and we figured that out pretty early on, how to get invested in the world that was around us. And then we knew we wanted to be invested globally, that God had big plans for the church and for what he was doing in the world. And as, as a church, as Summit was walking through that, started visiting some different places and praying about where should we invest our time and energy. We've always kind of had a vision of if we could go deep in a narrow place, if we could spend a lot of time and resources and energy in a small place, we could see huge life change. So we started following relationships around one of the big things that was happening about 12 years ago was the AIDS pandemic in Sub-Saharan Africa. Families were being ravaged, people were dying left and right, there was a whole generation missing amongst the people there, and we started saying, well, this is a, a, an issue that the church needs to be a part of. It is a place where we are uniquely equipped to go as God's people to go, and so we started praying and following, and one of the organizations that we were led to was Children of the Nations, because the actual work of what AIDS was doing and the ravages of that were, uh, have, in a lot of ways, have subsided. Medication has gotten really good, the antiretrovirals and all the ways we're able to treat people. The life expectancy has go, is going really well in the treatment, but what has happened is there is a whole generation that's missing. There is a layer of parents that are gone and there have been kids that have been growing up without parents or limited parents. Many of them growing up with grandparents or aunts and uncles. There is a huge thing that has happened amongst the people of Sub-Saharan Africa um, in the midst of this. And so children of the nations were able to come in and say, we have been given a mission and a vision by God to care for these children, to help raise them up, to be able to raise children to transform a nation. 
and they do that in Malawi. Chad, who was up here a moment ago, took our students. They're very involved in the Dominican Republic, Haiti, Uganda. Um, but in Africa, where we had gone is Malawi, and uh, they are taking these children. Some of them are, uh, have no parents, where they're taking care of them um, all throughout their whole life. But many of them, they've come alongside of parents and said, we can help you out. We can help provide education for your children. We can help provide food, clothing, uh, medical care, so that those children will grow up healthy, educated, that they will know they are loved by Jesus and have a purpose in the world, and ideally to transform their nations. I mean, it is a long-term vision. It is a narrow slice of kids, a thousand kids in this one part of Malawi to be able to transform their nation. And what I want to tell you is we're seeing it happen. Uh, because of the ways that you care through your tithes and your offerings, we support this. For many of you, you sponsor a child in a village in Malawi. We have done a lot of child sponsorships over time. And these folks know you. And some things that have been so amazing about going there is they are praying for you. On a daily basis, there are people in a small village in Malawi far away that pray for you. And if you sponsor them, they are praying for you by name. They know you. This isn't a money thing for them. This is a relationship for them. And they know Summit Church because we sponsor over half of the kids that are in the program there across all of our campuses. In one village, I think it's 70% of the children are sponsored by families at Summit. And when we walk in the village, they ask about you. They ask about how you're doing, how your families are doing. When you sponsor them, they know you. In fact, one of the really amazing things this time walking in is our family sponsors a child named Simeon who's just kind of captured our heart. He's somewhere on the autism spectrum and he's just a sweet boy. And when I walked in the village this time, people would point at me and go, Simeon? They know me because of Simeon. He has my picture and he talks about me. He knows me. And these kids don't know my name, but they know that I'm a part of Simeon's life. And that's what you're doing. So they're doing well. We're seeing kids growing up. We're seeing kids that are healthy, kids that a year ago were in a different place. Amazing things are happening because of the ways you've cared. They have a new country director in Malawi. His name is Hopeson. And it was just so incredible to be with him. He loves the Lord. He led us in worship every day. It was a part of what's going on. And he is doing the really hard and somewhat boring work, although some of you will know this is exciting work of human resources. Um, he is laying a really firm foundation for the next 10 years by protecting their employees. And it is such a vital piece because there are employees there like a man named Davey who knows every one of the thousand kids that are in their program. And he knows their name. He knows who they are. He knows their parents. He knows their situation. He knows their siblings. And when you lose a person like that, you are set way back in time. And so they're putting in place ways to protect and to encourage and to build up their employees. And it's just been so exciting to see this whole uh, new avenue for them and just a firm foundation that's being laid there. Another really exciting thing that's happening in the world of Children of the Nations in our partnership there is uh, Rachel and I met a young woman named Doris three years ago. When we're there, they provide interpreters who are some of their children who've grown up in the program and maybe they're college aged uh, and they come alongside us. And Doris is going to be doing an internship here at Summit Lake Mary starting in September. So for two months, Doris will be around. She's going to be living with us. And you're going to get a chance to really know someone who's been a part of the program, who's grown up there. And I'm just so encouraged that she's going to be here, that you guys will have a chance to get to know her a little bit, to hear her story, to spend some time with her, maybe to share a meal with her, and just to be able to see firsthand what you are doing, like what you're doing, because you're part of God's work there. It's incredible. Uh, while I was there this year, I read a book that I found to be really helpful um, uh, as we're going through, and it's uh, called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. And if you are a reader, um, if you want to learn a little bit more about Malawi, I'd highly encourage you to read this book. First, it's a really easy read. It's a, it's a fun book to read. He talks about a boy who lived in this village, and in the village that he describes is almost the exact same as where we are, and, and learned how to harness wind with a windmill and produce energy. So that part's exciting, the science behind it. But what is so great is it really paints an incredible picture of the culture of Malawi. 
there are some things that were explained that I've always wondered about, pieces that they don't even know that are different because they're so deeply ingrained there. But this is a great read. It's on Amazon. It was like $5.50 last night, and you can get it in two days. If you are part of the Seminole County Public Library system, you have Hoopla. It's free on there. You can borrow it on there. It's an easy read. There's also a children's version of it that you can go through with your kids. If you want to do like a little section on Malawi at some point, I would encourage you to read it just to know a little bit more about the country because Malawi is really the place that we've been called to care deeply for at Summit, especially myself and then the teams that have been going and in, in, in specifically in this one village of Maguire where we've been going. So if you have a chance, if you're a learner, if you'd like to read, I would encourage you to check this book out. Our team was really incredible this year. We had about eight of us that went for this team that we were doing, working alongside a special needs at VBS that we had created a few years ago. And what was fun, half of that team is here from uh, Summit Lake Mary. We were the smallest of the three campuses that were catching up Waterford, if you're listening. Um, but what's awesome is half of the team comes from here. You are a sending church. Uh, over half of the team that went to the Dominican Republic are students from here. Like you guys are so actively involved in mission and it's a part of your life and I love it. Um, and our team this year was made up of, like I said, half of us, my wife Rachel went, Amy and Carrie who are here. And it was just really fun to see this team interact in the ways that um, they were able to get involved with our friends that are there. And this is for many of, or everybody on our team, at least their second time they've gone, we were all repeats, which made us and allowed us to do some things a little bit uniquely and different this time. But one of the things I wanna do is I wanna brag on Rachel, and it's not just because her parents are here, but it helps. Um, I did not know before I planned this part. And, uh, but uh, uh, two years ago when we went, and for Rachel and I's first time in Malawi, one of the things that she had committed to when we left was to learn sign language. You see, we met this little girl named Awema, and Awema had come from a really hard situation. Awema uh, was deaf, but they did not know she was deaf. And so they um, were in the village she was living, thought maybe she was uh, inhabited by evil spirits. They would sometimes keep her chained in a graveyard. I mean, you hear some really hard, awful things, but she'd been brought in by a family who was caring for her at the time. And so she came to camp two years ago, and, and alongside of her was this young man named Yohani, and he was teaching her sign language. See, he was also deaf and had had a chance to be educated and learned a little bit of ASL, the American Sign Language. And so they were able to communicate, and Rachel in college had learned ASL and had wanted to learn it more and had been on her heart, and she wasn't sure why. And as she was kind of communicating a little bit with Yohani and Awema, she said, I want to learn it so when I go back, I can communicate with her. And this is Yohani and Rachel, and this is a picture that Yohani put on his Facebook a couple of days ago. I don't even know who took the picture, but you see Rachel lit up, and you see Yohani in this conversation, and it was so amazing to see this small step of faithfulness, because when Rachel came back, she started taking classes, and she wanted to learn how to be able to tell Hannah and Jada when we gave communion, and to be able to offer them communion, and to take these small steps of faithfulness so that conversation can happen. And I don't know that we will ever know the impact of that little step of obedience, because I don't know that anybody's ever talked to Yohani in sign language before and, and with a wee man. I mean, possibly, but not to this extent that someone was willing to travel, all the travel to go all the way. And if that one conversation was all it was, I think God would be very pleased. So never underestimate the small impact of God's calling on you and, and just the small steps of faithfulness and what he can do in the midst of that. It was just so fun. And that happened over and over and over again on the trip. One of the things we do with our ministry partners is we really want to come alongside ministry partners that are already doing great work. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we know that there are already people that know what they're doing, and we want to be able to find ways to go deep. And we want to be able to go narrow and deep and make a big impact. And Children of the Nations, again, is one of those places where they're doing it and they're living it. Their staff are all nationals that are there, and we're able to come alongside. But we want it to be more than just money. We want it to be more than just learning. We want it to be a really a reciprocal relationship where we're in community with them, where we're in relationship, where we're going, where they're sending, where we're able to work back and forth. And so one of the ways that when we've been able to send groups, we've been asking, what is something helpful? How can we 
be helpful because we don't want to just go and build something if they don't need something. We want to just go throw stuff at them because a lot of times that's what happens. Our waste ends up becoming their waste and it's just a cycle that goes on and on. And one of the things they asked us was, could you help us with a special needs camp? This is about seven or eight years ago. Um, in the summertime, in the school break, they like to take their kids to camp, much like we like to do it. They understand that getting kids out of their normal routine to show them God's beauty, to give them adventure, to teach them new things, and to share the gospel with them is a unique opportunity. And so they take kids, they do sports camp, they do hiking, they do these different things, but there was a unique population of kids that were there who had special needs. And they said, is there a way that you could come alongside and help them uh, know how special they are to God. This is a place that maybe you can have a unique impact. And so for the last several years, that's what we've been doing. We've been sending teams out, put on this camp. And, and, and to see the changes in the kids is amazing. These are, many of them have grown up in a system where they believe that their disability is an impact of maybe their parents' infidelity, of a satanic presence, of something is wrong with them, that they are, have been created improperly, that they are broken. And for seven years, to be able to go back and tell kids, no, you are actually uniquely created by God that you've been crafted for a purpose, and we are seeing the kids own this, that they believe this about themselves. In fact, Carrie and some of her friends that went several years ago wrote a book about them that encouraged them. And one of the really incredible things this year that we got to see was this young man, man named Last Stone. Um, he used to go by Junior, and he is uh, literally the poster child for Children of the Nations. Uh, this picture was taken next to a poster they have of him of a small, as a small boy. And Last Stone has been going to this camp every year. He's the only one that we could identify who's been there every single year. And this year, he was a leader. This year, he was teaching the kids. This year, he was putting on the skits. This year, he was the one telling kids how much they matter to Jesus. And I'm guessing seven years ago, he may not have known that fully about himself. But because of your faithfulness, because of the ways you supported it, because of the ways that we're able to tell kids that they matter to Jesus because of you, he's heard it. And now he's going to Bible school. He wants to be a pastor. He's learning. And he is just a, a, a remarkable young man. And so to be able to see stories like Last Stone and because of your impact, it's been incredible. Last thing I want to share with you is part of the process of going is it's more than just a trip. And whenever we go, the trip is a big part of it. But really, we spend six months ahead of time and several months after. And one of the biggest things we want to do is to reframe what poverty is. We want to be able to take a bigger picture of what does it mean to live in poverty. Because for most of us in the West, most of us in this room, when we think of poverty, we tend to view it in terms of material resources, whether that's a lack of material goods or unable to access them. But when you speak to people that are living in poverty, most of the time, the way they speak of it is being cut off from relationship, being cut off from those around them, broken systems, injustices, things that are beyond their control that are happening to them. And so we spend a lot of time trying to redefine poverty. And one of the ways we have found that to be very helpful is through the Chalmers Institute, who's done a lot of work. They've written a book called Helping Without Hurting. And one of the things we talk about is this uh, illustration that they use as far as what does it look like to live in poverty. And so they define it in this way, that poverty is really four broken relationships. The first is a broken relationship with God, which we all have experienced after the fall. After everything uh, was created perfectly, we sang that song, the world was good, the world was fallen, the world will be redeemed. And we live in the part of the fallen. So there's a broken relationship with God. There's a broken relationship with ourself and our self-worth, of our, our, the poverty of being, a broken relationship with our identity, there's a broken relationship with others, of how we treat others, of how others treat us, of the relationships with others. And there's also, can we go back to that slide real quick? Because I can't remember the fourth one. There we go. Uh, of course I remember, yeah. Uh, and also a broken relationship with the rest of creation, uh, how we steward our things. For us, oftentimes that's being too attached to our stuff, and oftentimes in other cultures, it's not having access to things. 
So we try to take a lot of time to redefine this poverty so that when we're going, we're not trying to just go as one who are saving, one who are going to fix something broken, of, of being able to be in the mindset that we are all living in poverty, that we are all broken, that every single one of us, whether we're living in material poverty or here in the West, where we have riches beyond comprehension, uh, we all have a broken relationship with God. We all experience broken relationship with ourselves and our own being with others and with creation. And it helps us to step in in a footing of being able to look eye to eye with other people that matter deeply to God and realize that the first thing we have to do is get this thing with God right, that there is no hope outside of him. And then when we're able to start walking together and start mending relationships and start mending our relationship with creation and all this, it helps us to put it into a new context and it helps us to step out of this desire because I know for me, it would be so easy to just come with stuff and money and just try to fix something, right? I'm a fixer. I want to do it. I want it to be quick and easy. And though it may help in the moment, in the long term, this idea of poverty and brokenness is still there. And this has helped. Being able to take all this time has helped when we step into new cultures, but it, it, it's not easy and it doesn't fix everything. And I think, I think when we're honest, uh, that those of us who've gone somewhere and experienced this, and experienced deep poverty, or you've experienced it here or in your backyard, you've been through it in your own life, or you've experienced injustice abroad or in your own life, most of the time, uh, we're left feeling with that idea of it's not fair, right? No matter how much training you have, there is this internal wiring that each and every one of us have of justice and fairness, and I do think it's an echo of creation when all was right, when everything was supposed to be there. We're created in the image of God and I think we still carry with us this idea that all should be right and all should be fair and justice should be there. But because the fall is broken apart and we sense that injustice and it's not fair. Because I think we want what's fair. At least there's a basic desire for it. Oftentimes it's driven by what we think is fair for us in the moment. And it starts really young. If I had a dollar for every time I heard it's not fair in my house, I would be a very wealthy person at this point, right? She got four M&Ms and I only got three. He got to watch two shows and I only got to watch one. It's not fair, right? It's bred early in us. We see this and, and all, you know, it's wired around mostly what we want, but this idea of what's fair and what's right is there. And it seems like as we got older, it should get better, right? Like as we know a little bit more about ourselves, we should be able to like rewire some of that fairness, but it doesn't. It's always there. When we get into middle school, I remember it was not fair that Tommy McGregor had the Frog RC car that was so much faster than my Sears RC car and my seventh grade RC car racing club. I was super cool. Um, it was so unfair that Chris got his driver's license when he was 16 and I had to wait till I was 17. For those of you that had older siblings, it's not fair that they got to go out and stay out late when you knew you were better with them and you weren't doing anything wrong. And for those of you who had younger siblings, it's not fair that they got so much cooler toys than you because your parents had more money and they gave them so much more freedoms earlier on. And this isn't directed at you, Amber, my sister. Um, and then you think when you get to college age that it's all gonna get better, right? Because now we're so worldly and we know everything and we've got it all figured out. But it's not fair that they had rich parents who were alumni at the school that you wanted to go into and they got in. And it's not fair that Cheryl got a BMW on the first day of her school in her dorm. And it's not fair that that kid has it so easy because his parents paid for school and you had to work every day of your life to be able to get through. It's not fair, it's not fair. And it seems like after you get done in that phase of life, finally when we're you know like later 20s and you're in kind of your working years, like it would be better at work, right? but then it's not fair that she makes more money than I do, and it's not fair that he keeps getting promoted even though he's incompetent and can't even work the copy machine for crying out loud. And then in our families, it's not fair that they bought the house that I've been wanting. It's not fair that their life is so much easier even though I work so much harder than they do. It's not fair, and it's not fair, and it's not fair, and on and on and on it goes. 
thought fair is one of the rallying cries that we all get around. It's one of those parts that is so deep-seated in it. And part of it, as I said, is good. Part of it is there because we are wired with a sense of justice. And I do think it is one of those after effects of creation of how God has wired us. But a lot of it is based around what we want and what we think we need in our own fairness. Today, we're going to look at a parable that shows that God isn't fair. And in fact, why we should be really glad that he isn't. Today, we're going to be looking at the parable of the workers in the vineyard found in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. And I want to start a little bit before that to give some context. Now, part of you are thinking like, you've been talking for 20 minutes, dude, and you're still just getting to the text. Don't worry, this part is short, Um, ish. So um, I want to give you a little context right before this. A rich young man has come to Jesus and he says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, follow the laws. And he says, I do all that. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, give away all your stuff and you can come to me, and he leaves dejected. And his disciples are watching him, and Jesus says that famous thing about it. it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven, and his disciples are freaking out, and they're going, what must we do? Because they're thinking, man, we've done left everything. And then they say, well, then who can be saved if this guy who looks like he has everything can't be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus looks at him and says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then sweet Peter, my favorite Peter, who has so much candor and just says, what he's thinking says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus sweetly gives him this incredible picture of the, of, of the, the reward that they're gonna get for leaving everything. And then he leaves with this verse at the end of 30. He says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And as this end of this next parable that we're gonna read, he says this again. So I think it's important that we keep that in mind as we listen to this because parables are trying to teach a simple point are in a really deep point with some simple language that we can understand, but when they're couched in a statement like that, we should be listening. So I'm gonna start here in verse 30 and read through the story here. It says, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and then sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, or so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. It's not fair. You just hear it. But he answered one, one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I love in parables, again, he uses simple language we can understand. And this one is a language we all get, wages and work. Right, it's something we all understand. Maybe the only part of that in there is the, the denarius, that idea of what that money meant. That was a payment that was better than a day's wage. It was a generous payment for the work that was there. So this was a generous 
owner who was paying those and became even more generous as the day went on. And so I'm gonna give you three quick points from this as I've been reading it, especially in light of being away for a bit in Malawi. The first is this, uh, the landowner who is God in the story is generous. He doesn't pay us what we've earned, but he pays what we're worth. You and I live in a world uh, that for the most part rewards and revolves around what we can earn. Our worth and oftentimes our identity are wrapped in our performance and it starts so early on. I mean, my kids are in elementary school and they've already started rating, right? You go to the doctor from the time they're born, what percentile are you? When you meet your parents' kids, like what percentile are they? And you start measuring everything early on. Uh, when we were in Malawi, they were finishing up the school year and they rank their positions and they celebrate those who are first in every grade. We live in a world that is so based around our performance and what we can earn and oftentimes that seeps into our own value system and how we view ourselves, and you are rewarded or punished based on your own work. But I would say, thinking through this, if we were to get paid what we've earned spiritually, it would be bad news indeed. This idea of wages, the wording even is used again shortly after in the book of Romans. In Romans verses 3, 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all have this problem of the fall where we've all inherited this brokenness. The world is broken and sin has entered the world and it says, that we are all in the same boat. When we look at that picture of poverty, we all have this broken relationship with God and we're all there in the midst of sin. But then it follows up in verse six, or chapter six, verse 23, it says, the wages, again, the word, the wages of sin is death. The payment for this is death, is separation from God, but the gift is eternal life through Jesus. But the payment, if we were to earn what we have earned in our own spiritual life would be separation from God because of the sin that's there. Yet God is a gracious God. God is a God who gives richly of his grace and offers eternal life through his son. Because amongst the cries of it's not fair by those that were standing there, God reminds them, the workers, that he is generous and he can lavish his grace upon anyone he chooses. It's an incredible reminder of the graciousness of God. It is him and him alone that can offer grace. And he is sitting there and he reminds those no matter what time they work, is it wrong that I am so generous? God is a God of generosity and a God who offers a grace that is so far surpasses anything we can even begin to understand in the midst of that. And I think one of the reasons he gives you and I that in this story is because that can rub up against some of us, especially for those of us who've been Christians for a while, especially for those of us who feel like we're good Christians that maybe we've been checking the box and we're good about going to church, we're good about giving, we're good about doing all these things. And it's a reminder that God celebrates those no matter what time they walk into his life. And I think sometimes we can start to take ourselves so seriously and we can start looking down upon those who came in late in the game and go like, how, how is it possible that that person, God could love them? And God says, no, everyone. Everyone is invited into this. And it's a reminder of his deep love for them. I think about that story of the prodigal son as he goes away and comes back home and God runs out and gives him the big hug and his daddy is so excited he's there. And here's the elder brother says, why should we throw a party for him? I've been here doing the work and I've stayed next to you this whole time. And God said, but he went away and he came back. That is good news. And it's a reminder for us to celebrate the good news of when people come, no matter when they come to Jesus, to be excited for it. And that is part of our call and part of the joy that we have in doing this. Second point, God needs workers in the field because the harvest is so important. The harvest is people coming to him. 
The harvest is so important to him that the owner keeps going out until the last hour of the day to hire workers to come bring in the harvest. The harvest is so important to them that he will pay them more than a day's wages no matter what time they started working because the harvest is so important. And the harvest is people. God cares deeply for people. And he cares for people that are a mess like you and me. He cares for everyone. He cares for those that are outside of these walls right now. He cares for every person. He wants them home. But he needs workers. And one of the incredible things is that he invites you and I into this work. We are his plan A in the midst of this. He has given opportunities for you and I to go and to be workers in the harvest. It's a great reminder that God can and will use us if we're willing to let him. We take that step of obedience to him. He will use us no matter our age, no matter how young or how old, no matter how skilled or unskilled, no matter how much money we have or don't have, no matter any of it, if we are willing to be used by God, he will use us in his harvest and we will get to see amazing things if we say yes to him. If we say yes to him, there's a grace that will last forever, but there's also an opportunity to participate in the harvest now, right now. As we walk out of these doors and even in the midst of this room, there is opportunity to participate in the harvest now. And I think that is the third thing that I have, as I've read through this, that though this generous payment is offered to everyone, that no matter what time of day that they worked there, they were given this rich denarius and rewarded for their work, there does seem to be a reward for those who started earlier in the day that were going out and doing the good and hard work. There is rewards for going and being part of the harvesting team now. For those who said yes earlier in the day, they were given the opportunity to do good work with their hands to produce a good harvest. You see, you and I were created for good work. One of the first mandates in creation is for us to produce and to make good work. And we do that through our vocational work. We, some of, we do that in our homes. We do that in our families. We do that in so many different ways. We are created to produce good work and to work hard and to produce well. And those who started working earlier in the day were given every opportunity to do that. Even though the day was hot, even though it was hard work, they were able to use what God had given them to be part of the harvest. Because you see, even at the end of the day, at five o'clock, when the landowner shows up and he says, why are you standing around here? Why haven't you been working all day? People were still standing there at five o'clock saying, I just want to work. I just want to work. Nobody has picked me the rest of the day, but I stood here for eight hours in the blistering sun waiting for someone to call me into the game. And God said, come on. Come on, I can use you right now. And I think that he's saying no matter how young or how old or no matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter where we are, if we are willing to take that step in, he wants to use us in his harvest because it is so important. He wants people home and he needs us. He, he uses us, he allows us to be the ones to go out and tell them the good news. So my encouragement is this, is to not wait any longer than you have to to step into the game. If you've heard God tugging on your sleeve and you've not yet taken that step to him, please, Take as much time as you need, but no longer than you have to because God desperately wants you home and he also needs you because you have been given places that only you can go. In your families, in your workplaces, in the places you shop, in your neighbors that you're a part of, you can only go to those places. God has put you exactly where he needs you to be the worker in his, in his harvest. So where is he calling you to go with that? So the great news in all of this is that God isn't fair. The great news is that he's beyond fair. He's generous. And he reminds us that the last will be first. And how is that good news? Because if we all live in poverty, if that redefinition and the recategorization of poverty, if it paints us that we are all living in this brokenness with all of the things around us, with each other, with God, with the world, if we are all living in poverty, then you and I and every single one of us are all lasts. That we have opportunities in places where we're first in some of those areas. If we truly have a good view of our own situation, we're lasts. And Jesus says that the last will be first. And that is very good news for you and I. 
this harvest is so important. God is so generous that he wants to give and the ways that he wants to give into this world is by using you and I in the work of his world. He is so generous that he has allowed you and I broken people to be a part of his harvest. It is a humbling thing that God would want to use us in whatever small acts of obedience and whatever giant ways that he wants to use us in the midst of his harvest. He could have done this any number of ways. He could have sent a giant comet in the sky with the words like, come see me, or I don't know. He could have done anything he wanted to let everybody know how great he is, but he chose to use us. And he gives us opportunities to share this. So don't miss out on it. Don't miss out on the opportunity to be part of the harvest, to be in the game. It is incredibly great news for all of us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who is big enough uh, to cross this incredible gap uh, that was between us, this brokenness that was there, this death that we had earned. And you gave us a way back, that you gave us an opportunity to be home, to be part of you, God, that you are so big and so loving and so generous that you created a way back through your son. And God, in the midst of that, not only do you provide us life forever, but you offer us life right now. You offer us an opportunity to do good work, to give us purpose beyond any of our wildest dreams that when we come to the end of it, it's not just what's in our bank account or the things we've done, but Lord, when we have a bigger purpose for all of this, we get to be a part of your work in this world and to see you working actively in our life and to see lives that are changed, to see light in dark places, to see lives that are changed for you. And there will be people that are sitting at the banquet table in heaven because people took faithful steps today. Lord, I am so grateful that you invite us into it, God. I pray that for each and every one of us that you would put in front of us the steps that you want us to take, Lord. Help us to see the work you have for us, God. Help us to say yes to being the workers in the harvest. And in these coming weeks, as we have opportunities to do that as we're challenged, as we're pushed and stretched, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take those steps into the work, God. Thank you for meeting us here this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and continue in worship with us.